sharpen up my days. Hey there, welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, as everyone should know by now, I'm a big fan of Halloween, and I watch horror movies year-round. But there's something about watching it during the Halloween season that makes it feel more special. So I've been scouring all the streaming services to see what they have to offer, and I've selected the one that rises to the top. The award goes to... Peacock! First off, on the homepage, they have a button called Halloween, so you don't have to search through a bunch of carousels to find what you want. It's all in one place. And they have some killer collections. There's freaky franchises and creepy collections. It includes the Universal Monster movies, which are always great to watch. Saw, Psycho, Leprechaun, Tremors, Child's Play. Although disappointing, they don't have the first movie. Tales from the Hood, Phantasm, Godzilla, Puppet Master, Troma. They have collections that are presented by Jamie Lee Curtis and Jason Blum. There's a Horrors of Blumhouse collection that features The Purge, The Purge Election Year, Insidious, Insidious Chapter 3, Sinister, and of course the recently released Halloween Ends. They have a combo Carpenter and Craven Classics, so you'll get Halloween 2, Halloween 3, They Live, The Thing, but again, disappointing, they don't have Halloween 1. If you like specific subgenres, they have Monster Mash. So if zombies are your thing, they've got it. Vampires, Frankenstein, werewolves, mummies, invisible people. It's all there. They have Halloween episodes from many NBC series or NBC produced series. But my favorite aspect has to be that you can browse by decade, and they have movies from the 1930s all the way to the 2010s. And each collection has at least nine movies in them, so this isn't a skimpy offering. So kudos to Peacock and their Halloween collections. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Species from 1995. It was directed by Roger Donaldson, who helmed No Way Out, Cocktail, Cadillac Man, and Dante's Peak. The screenplay was written by Dennis Feldman, who scribed The Golden Child, Real Men, and Virus. The movie stars Ben Kingsley as Xavier Finch. He was born in North Yorkshire, England, to a British actress and Indian father who was a spice trader. He studied amateur dramatics at De La Salle College and made his theater debut in 1966. He joined the Royal Shakespeare Company the next year and spent over a decade on the stage. 
He would make the rounds on the British television circuit, including a stint on Coronation Street, before making his feature film debut in Fear is the Key. But it would be his second role in Gandhi that earned him critical acclaim and raised his acting profile. He's received Academy Award nominations for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Bugsy and Sexy Beast, and Best Actor in a Leading Role for House of Sand and Fog, and would win Best Actor in a Leading Role for Gandhi. He won a Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album for The Words of Gandhi. Michael Madsen portrays Preston Press Lennox. Born into an artsy family, his mother left a high-paying job to pursue the arts, and his sister is Virginia Madsen. He belonged to the Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, where he appeared in Of Mice and Men with John Malkovich. He had small roles in war games, Racing with the Moon and The Natural, but his breakthrough was as Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. He's worked with Tarantino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill, Sin City, and The Hateful Eight. He has over 325 acting credits. Forrest Whitaker plays Dan Smithson. He was born in Longview, Texas, but moved to Carson, California while in primary school. He sang in the choir at Palisades Charter High School and went to California State Polytech University on a football scholarship. He was sidelined by an injury and focused on majoring in music. After graduation, he attended Drama School London. He appeared in supporting roles in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Vision Quest, The Color of Money, Platoon, and Bloodsport. His first leading role was as saxophonist Charlie Parker in Bird. He won an Oscar, BAFTA, Golden Globe, and Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for The Last King of Scotland. He can currently be seen as Bumpy Johnson in Godfather of Harlem. Alfred Molina acts as Dr. Stephen Arden. After seeing Spartacus, he decided to pursue acting and enrolled in Guildhall School of Music and Drama. His film debut was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He would go on to appear in Lady Hawk, Maverick, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Frida, and as Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. Marg Helgenberger performs the role of Dr. Laura Baker. Born and raised in Nebraska, she originally wanted to follow in the footsteps of her mother and become a nurse, but switched to speech and drama while at Northwestern University's School of Speech in Illinois. She started her career as a weather person and, during the summer, worked at her father's meatpacking plant. She earned a role in Ryan's Hope, which she appeared in four seasons, 108 episodes. Her next venture in television would be China Beach, where she won a Primetime Emmy Award for her role. But she's probably best known from CSI, Crime Scene Investigation. This is something to look out for. The nightmare train sequence almost wasn't in the film due to production constraints, but H.R. Giger contributed $100,000 to the budget to finance the scene. The movie starts at the U.S. government laboratories in Dugway, Utah. A young girl with medical equipment attached to her is imprisoned within a dome structure. Two workers in hazmat suits brings canisters of cyanide and, under the instruction of Xavier Finch, pump the poison into the room. But instead of dying, she punches a hole through the glass and escapes from the facility. Avoiding soldiers and military vehicles, she hops onto a train to Los Angeles. While traveling, she steals a man's luggage and other supplies to survive. That night, tentacles emerge from her body to her shock and horror. A female train conductor visits the young girl and discovers a large cocoon on the wall. It kills her and afterwards, a young woman emerges from the organism. Meanwhile, a team is assembled by Xavier Finch, which includes Preston Press Lennox, a mercenary who hunts people for the government, Dan Smithson, an empath who feels what others have experienced, Dr. Stephen Arden, an anthropologist and expert in cross-cultural behavior, and Dr. Laura Baker, a molecular biologist. 
Finch explains to the team that in November 1974, a small project called SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, used the world's most powerful radio telescopes to send out a message, which included the construction of human DNA, map of our solar system, and the population of Earth into outer space to search for signals from alien civilizations. In January of 1993, they received a message back from an extraterrestrial of unknown source. There were two distinct communications. The first was a superior catalyst for methane, providing instructions to potentially produce an infinite amount of energy from this clean-burning fuel. Who knew the aliens were so woke? Believing they were dealing with friendly intelligence, the second message included a new sequence of DNA with instructions of how to combine it with strains of our own. The new combined DNA structure was injected into a hundred human ova. Most didn't survive, but three remained. Two were cryogenically frozen, and one was allowed to grow, which was named Syl. They thought it was safer to keep her in isolation. After observing the creation and the violent dream she was having, it was decided to terminate the experiment. But we know how that ended. Finch believes that Syl is too dangerous to keep around to study, and wants the team to find and destroy her. Here's a quote without context. Something bad happened here. Species was an enjoyable B-movie. They got to the premise pretty quickly. The opening scene hooked you. The backstory was laid out within 15-20 minutes. Pacing was really good. The cast was diverse, which seemed more common 20-30 to 30 years ago than it is today. Their performances were really strong. There were a couple of poorly written lines and cringy dialogue, but the actors did their best with the material. The second act needed a little help. It was almost like a police procedural. Syl would commit a crime, the group would come across the scene and analyze it, then they'd try to decide her next moves. It got a little repetitive. A couple of industry veterans contributed to the crew. Frank Weller, voiceover artist known for Transformers, Scooby-Doo, The Jetsons, and Garfield, did the sound effects for the aliens. H.R. Giger, visual effects designer who worked on the Alien franchise, created Syl and the Nightmare Train sequence. The special makeup effects were created by Steve Johnson. I did have an issue with some of the special effects. When they use CGI, it appears very dated and looks downright cheesy. This is definitely a product of 90s technology, but the practical effects, the ones that you can see and touch, they were solid. Now for a little trivial trivia. It was the theatrical movie debut of Natasha Henstridge, who plays Syl. She started her career as a model, moving to Paris when she was 14, and appeared on a couple of magazine covers. She started doing commercials and realized that she preferred acting, and would soon be cast in Species. It was produced by Frank Mancuso Jr., who also contributed to Friday the 13th, Parts 2 through 5 and 7, April Fool's Day, Internal Affairs, and Hoodlum, which was also about Bumpy Johnson. The cinematography was captured by Andres Barkowak, whose filmography includes Pritzi's Honor, Twins, Speed, Dante's Peak, and The Devil's Advocate. It was edited by Conrad Buff, who worked on Spaceballs, The Abyss, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, True Lies, Training Day, and won an Oscar for Best Film Editing for Titanic. The score was composed by Christopher Young, who wrote the music for Urban Legend, Hellraiser, Drag Me to Hell, Deliver Us from Evil. He seems to have a niche. The soundtrack featured songs by Saida Garrett, Latanzi featuring Crystal Talufero, and Crystal Method. The runtime is 1 hour 48 minutes. It had a budget of $35 million and grossed $113 million at the box office. 
There were three sequels, Species 2, Species 3, and Species 4, The Awakening, as well as a four-issue comic book series. Overall, I give it three and a half out of five stars. If you've seen Species and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Today would have been the 62nd birthday of Norm MacDonald, who passed away last December due to cancer, so I thought we would celebrate his career. He was born in Quebec City, Quebec. When he was 13 years old, he was inspired to go into stand-up when he saw David Letterman appearing on a Canadian talk show called 90 Minutes Live, in which he was in the audience. In his early 20s, he started appearing in open mics at comedy clubs. Soon after, he performed at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal. In 1990, he appeared on Star Search, a competition reality show hosted by Ed McMahon. In 1992, he was hired as a writer on The Dennis Miller Show before moving to the Roseanne staff, but quit to appear on Saturday Night Live. He was part of SNL from 1993 to 1999 and hosted Weekend Updates starting in 1994. He became well known for his deadpan delivery, non sequiturs featuring Frank Stallone, and unrelenting jokes about O.J. Simpson being a murderer. Allegedly. He didn't care if a joke bombed. In fact, he seemed to relish in it. He was eventually fired from the show. Many believe it was due to producer Don Allmeyer's friendship with O.J. Simpson. But I'm not touching that with a 12-inch knife. In 1999, he starred in his own sitcom, The Norm Show, which featured Laurie Metcalf, Ian Gomez, Artie Lang, and Max Wright. It lasted for three seasons, 54 episodes. Norm would continue doing stand-up and securing roles in movies, including The Animal, Dr. Doolittle, Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, and Jack and Jill, and making appearances in television on Sunnyside, The Middle, Mike Tyson's Mysteries, and The Orville. He was posthumously nominated for three Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Writing for a Variety Special, Outstanding Directing for a Variety Special, and Outstanding Variety Special for Norm MacDonald, Nothing Special. I'm going to post three clips that sum up his career. In 1998, he hosted the ESPY Awards, and after the first joke in the monologue, they instantly regretted the decision. In 2015, he made his last appearance on David Letterman and gave an impromptu heartfelt tribute to the late-night host. And lastly, a compilation of some of his best jokes from Weekend Update. They're all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Floor is Lava, created by Megan McGrath and Irad Yal, hosted by Rutledge Wood. There are two teams of three players who have to navigate different rooms who have themed obstacles to get you from one side to the exit. The most players who make it across in the fastest amount of time wins. The biggest caveat is, as you've determined from the title, that the floor is lava. So if you happen to fall into it, you're eliminated. I came across this series late one night and said to myself, alright, I'm gonna give this one episode. I ended up watching half of season one. I found it extremely enjoyable, and I wasn't laughing from being overtired. This is a legitimately funny show. 
Now, I've never liked watching videos of people getting hurt, someone slipping on ice, falling off a curb. That's not entertainment to me. But these contestants volunteered to be on the show. So when they leap onto a box, lose their footing, and fall into the lava, it's pretty darn funny. I've had a good amount of belly laughs. I just noticed recently a new season of episodes, so I can't wait to watch. Floor is Lava has been on for three seasons, 20 episodes, and currently streaming on Netflix. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. She started her career as a weather person and, during the summer, worked at her father's meat-placking pant. Meat-placking pant. I'm impressed with that one. I can't even laugh at it. I'm astounded. The movie starts at the U.S. government laboratories in Dugway, Utah. Utah. And Laura Baker, a marine biologist. Nope, a molecular... <laughs> Better, a, m- a molecular biologist.